for the cookbook, uh, for example, the photo shoots, I we would start shooting at like 8.30 a.m. in the morning and then wrap around 7 p.m. And then I would have to bake all the desserts for the next day. Wow. And we did a chapter a day. So I would bake 10 recipes and decorate them that night. So I would work then from 7 p.m. to probably 4.30, 5 a.m., sleep for a few hours, and then we'd start again the in the morning. The whole process. Oh, my God. Yeah, we did that for 10 days. Um, but just goes to show, sometimes you do have to put in the work to get what the results you want to get. Exactly. And yeah. so I think it's a valuable skill to learn how to, how do you motivate yourself to work that hard? And then how do you put in that work in the first place, too? Welcome to the Founders Couch. This is a show about Stanford student founders and their intrepid journeys of starting their own thing. I'm your host, Katherine Jang. I'm so, so excited for this episode today because we'll be talking to Rachel Fong. Rachel is a product design sophomore here at Stanford who hails from Piedmont, California. She has her own YouTube channel called Kawaii Sweet World. The channel has over 1.2 million subscribers and features videos of her baking with a cute twist. Rachel started the channel back in 2011 and since then has accumulated over 142 million views. Not an easy nor small feat. Now, I can't wait to dive into this and learn about how Rachel came to fund Kauai's Sweet World, what's led to the channel's success, and the challenges she's faced along the way. So let's get Rachel on the couch. Hello, Rachel. Hi. Welcome to the couch. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited uh, for this episode today. So how are you doing today? It's been a day. <laughs> <laughs> I know you were telling me about it. Yeah, it's been a long day. Um, fun, though, because it's been like work that I enjoy doing. Um, some stuff for the cookbook and yeah, yeah. a good time, though. You said you were baking cookies. Is that for your cookbook as well? or Yes. Okay. It's a recipe from the book. The publisher is going to meet with a potential bookseller. Okay, wow. So we're hoping that's to kind of like exciting. sweeten the deal with yeah. some desserts. <laughs> so hopefully that works out. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, so I want to ask, where are you from? Can you tell me a little bit more about where you come from? Sure. Yeah, I'm from Piedmont, California, which is right by Oakland. It's okay. actually like right in the center of Oakland. Um, and it's a really nice place. Uh, good schools, good people. Um, but yeah, that's where I'm from. And where did this love for Kauai and crafting all begin? Right, yeah. My love for Kauai started from, uh, have you been to San Francisco, Japantown? I don't think I have. Oh, okay. It's yeah. amazing. Um, but it's basically like Hello Kitty Mecca okay. is how I describe it. Um, and so then they have a whole bunch of like kawaii cute merchandise. And that was the first time I was ever exposed to what kawaii really was. Right. Before I just knew that I really liked Hello Kitty, Totoro, Pikachu, things like that. But I didn't know there was an actual term for it and that there was also so much of it too. And so that really opened my eyes to it. And then in terms of just baking and crafting, my mom is super, super crafty. And so then she taught me how to bake when I was younger. Um, and I really, really love that. And in terms of crafting, you said all of this started out with one competition, right? Can you yes. tell me a bit about that? Yes, for sure. So it was this uh, YouTuber that I follow. And then she was hosting this contest to make some clay charms, you know, like little polymer clay jewelry pieces, kind of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so then I made that video, posted it, didn't win the contest, didn't get That's a okay. lot of views. <laughs> But I had a great time doing it. Yeah. And so then I just wanted to post more videos, too. And I did get some comments and requests for tutorials. And so then I basically just made those videos, posted them, had a good time. And then you kind of start slowly building this 
community is how YouTube works, Mm -hmm. especially back in the day when I feel like the algorithm was less sophisticated, maybe. It was more organic. Mm. Um, And so that's how I started getting that initial traction. So when you say organic, what exactly do you mean by that? Yeah, now I feel like the algorithm is probably a lot more complicated. And so then they factor in more of posting frequency, Mm. probably more about engagement statistics. Um, And so it's just a lot more difficult for uh, just a regular person to start a YouTube channel because Mm -hmm. now there's so many people that can really optimize the algorithm and they know what goes on behind the scenes more so. Right. Right. And at what point when you were, you know, creating this channel, did it actually become a business? Mm, That's a good question. I would say, let's see, when I signed with the management company, so have you heard of Tastemade before? Yes. Okay. Yeah, awesome. So basically at the time they were still a startup and then they are kind of like a network of YouTube channels, specifically food related YouTube channels. And so then they reached out when I was like 14, still wow. in eighth grade. Oh my God. Yeah. I was about two years into my channel at that point. And uh, they were interested if I wanted to work together and become a part of their network. And so then I said, it sounds amazing. Uh, Join their network and they gave me a manager too. Mm. And that's really what helped me grow my channel because they taught me about how to optimize my tags, uh, my social media presence, and just get a little more official and professional with things. And then I started taking it more seriously too. I see. How do you think that company Tastemade found out about you? That's a good question. Um... I believe they're probably just looking for like food-related YouTubers online, mm-hmm. and they stumbled across my channel. And then since they were a startup, um, it was fine that I was like this 12-year-old kid just right. making videos in her bedroom. <laughs> and so, That's still crazy to me. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I know. I still can't believe it. Like This random hobby I had when I was a kid has grown to something that's a business now. Exactly. It's wild. Yeah. It's wild. What was that like getting your first manager? Oh, this is a fun time. Yeah. I was 12, so like pretty much anything <laughs> You're was having cool. the time of your life, yeah. right? <laughs> no, for sure. Um, it was amazing to have a manager. Uh, he was really, really helpful. Um, I learned a lot, not just about YouTube, but then also just about working in general. Like, how do you meet deadlines? How do you even just send business emails and those kinds of soft skills? I started developing when I was 14, and I think that was really, really helpful for me, too. Mm. Yeah. And at what point did you start putting in ads? Oh, okay. Um, let's see. I want to say that was like three years. No, maybe one year into my channel. Okay. Because I saw another YouTuber had mentioned joining the YouTube Partner Program, mm. which basically means you can monetize your videos. And so then um, I thought that was really cool. So then I signed up for the program, started monetizing the videos, um, which is a nice little incentive to mm-hmm. make more. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> On top of my passion for it, too. Yeah. Yeah. This manager that you had for Tastemade... Mm-hmm. Uh, that's no longer your manager right now, right? You have another one. Like, how did you find this new manager? Yeah, so then I was working with Tastemade for a long time. Um, Really loved working with them. But then I did kind of want something a little more individualized because Tastemade is a big network of channels. The pro is that they have... um, connections so you can collaborate with other YouTubers but then the con is that your uh, their time is split among all the different channels and so then having an individual manager was really beneficial and so then she was actually a family friend of a family friend that reached out and heard, heard about my channel before and she is basically like a traditional Hollywood uh, talent manager so she reached out met with her we hit it off really really well and then um, eventually signed with her and then cut ties with Tastemade, 
But then since then, Tastemade has kind of restructured a little bit, and I'm signing on back with them. So mm. now I have Tastemade and my private manager. Best of both worlds, right? Exactly, yeah. 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 You know, I'm a huge fan of YouTube videos. I, like, watch a ton uh-huh. <laughs> every single day. Well, maybe not a ton. Maybe five to ten just to, like, you know, relax and stuff. Absolutely. And I see, like, a, like several YouTube stars sometimes leave their channels because mm-hmm. they're like, oh, I'm, like, burnt out. Like, right. I'm always, like, forced to create videos I don't want to create. So mm-hmm. how do you find that right balance between what you want to produce and what you know viewers will like? Yeah, no, that's definitely, I feel like, the central conflict for most YouTubers. And that was something I was really hitting against a lot during my gap year. Uh, During my gap year between high school and college, I was doing YouTube full-time and Mm. really trying to take it seriously as a business. And so that's when I had to balance, okay, if this is a business now, then I'm trying to maximize views, essentially. But then at the same time, it's a creative business. So you can't, you're going to burn out of it if you don't have that creativity behind it. So it is really tough to balance the videos that you want to make and the videos that are going to feed the algorithm. Um, I'd say at the end of the day, you kind of have to just push through um, and find videos that are a good compromise between Mm, the two. For sure. Yeah. So you mentioned, you know, coming up with ideas for videos. How exactly do you come up with a video? Mm, Yeah. um, Let me think. I feel like I have so many ideas, it's actually hard to narrow it down um, versus trying to come up with new ones. But then, in general, I would try to see what's trending on YouTube. So for a while, um, have you seen those slime videos? No, I've not. Oh, really? No. Oh, okay. Is it MTV Slime, that one? Or? No, it's no. just um, it's this really big fad. About a year ago, I want to say, mm. people made slime. You know what ASMR is, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So it's like people would do ASMR with slime. Oh, wow. Like poke it and stuff. Wait, I think I've seen this on Snapchat okay. somewhere. Yeah, yeah something yeah. like that. Anyways, it was just a viral trend, basically. But then to come up with videos, I would kind of look at what was viral and what was really trendy and people liked. Mm. And then try to find a way to make it kawaii instead and try to make it something that I would be excited about. So I did some like kawaii slime videos um, and just trying to find ways to customize it and tailor it to my own channel, my own interests, my own brand. How exactly do you make a kawaii slime video? (laughs) How do you make slime kawaii? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, um, kawaii, I don't think I've mentioned before yet, is the Japanese word for cute. Um, And it's like Hello Kitty Totoro, things like that. So then a lot of it is putting faces on like inanimate objects to kind of personify them. So I put faces on the slime. (laughs) <laughs> or make them into like shape it into cute animals and stuff right um just find a way to customize it and get excited about it and how do you make those little faces do you draw like do you have a yeah. drawing background at all or i don't well <laughs> i took art in high school okay but that i i don't know if i'd really count that as a background i don't know how good i really was at it <laughs> um but i do really like working with my hands and doing creative media um but i would make faces out of like clay um some drawing I know uh, graphic design decently well. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So once you have an idea for a video, what are the you know next few steps you do? Oh, yeah. Um, let's see. Let's say it's a recipe video. So first I have to nail down the recipe and make sure it's really, really good. So let's say it's like a panda cake or something. Then I would nail down the cake recipe first. That takes a while since I really like to try and test and perfect the recipe. Mm-hmm. And then once I have that nailed down, then I'll move into the uh, planning process to film it. Not too complicated, usually, since I film all my videos myself. In your little studio downstairs, right? Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, Yeah, it's a studio that I made in middle school. Converting our basement. Yeah. Um, But then I'll plan, film the video in our basement, um, in the kitchen studio. And then after that, I'll do the intro and outro for the video. Um, And then I will edit it. Um, And then it's 
kind of like the social media optimization stuff. So coming up with the video description, tags, all the metadata, um, posting the video, doing all the social media posts, responding to comments, mm -hmm. and that basically wraps it up. That's mm. a really, really long process. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a lot. Wow. And how many hours would you say goes into the making of one video? Yeah, I would say it could be anywhere from like 15 to 17 hours. Wow. Maybe longer. Wow. Because when it comes down to like testing the recipe, filming it, editing it, um, social media posts, metadata, all of that stuff, it really adds up. Oh, yeah, I bet. Yeah. What would you say is your favorite part of that process and your mm. least favorite part of that process? Oh, good question. I love recipe testing. It's kind of like a science experiment because once you get enough knowledge about baking, you kind of know the chemistry behind it too. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's really satisfying to kind of iterate on your recipe until you get it just right. I like that process a lot. Mm. Um, I like eating the desserts also. Well, <laughs> like, who wouldn't, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and then least favorite part, I would say, is maybe editing. Because with editing, I'm sure you know, oh, yeah. you can um, iterate endlessly. And mm -hmm. that's the hard part of it, is like knowing when to stop and when is good enough. Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever feel that like sort of perfectionistic attitude comes in? Hmm. I do think so. I think we all have kind of a tendency to be perfectionist in some way. Right. Um, because especially when you're posting something out to the world, it's kind of a representation of who you are. And with my videos, they're so personal to me that when I post something, I know all my friends are going to see it. All my subscribers are going to see it. And so then it is easy to fall into that perfectionism trap. Mm -hmm. um, but I have gotten better over the years about learning when something is good enough to post um, and what that benchmark is for me. Mm. Yeah. So you put out that video. Mm -hmm. Do you watch it again? Like, how does, do you <laughs> go back to it? That's a good question. Yeah. I've never been asked that before. Um, I usually don't. I think most people, no matter what, don't like hearing their own voice. Oh, for sure. I totally understand yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like I'm more used to hearing my voice now, but something about seeing my face, too. <laughs> I don't adds know. another layer of complexity. Yeah, and then, I mean, I've looked at it for like 10 hours at that point. I've kind right. of seen it enough times already. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. There's a question I want to ask. So yeah. how exactly... Do you make profits from your videos? Like what channels do you, you know, make profits sure. through? Yeah. So the one that I started with is just the ad revenue on the videos. That one is the easiest to implement because you just sign up for the partner program, run the ads in your videos, you, uh, then the video is monetized. Mm -hmm. uh, and then beyond the um, ads on the videos, you can also do sponsorships. And that is where most YouTubers make the bulk of their money is from sponsorships. And so then most of the sponsorships that I do are incoming. So a brand will email me, let's say it's um, CNH Sugar, who I worked with before. So they'll email me and say, can you make a video using our sugar? And then you work with them on the creative for the video, uh, the contract, the terms, all of that stuff. And um, make something that you're both really, really excited about. And that's how sponsored videos and sponsored posts work. Mm. So you mentioned terms and like the mm -hmm. contracts and stuff. Mm -hmm. Do you have like a lawyer behind you on this or do you sort of have to figure all of this out on your own? I had to kind of figure it out on my own. Uh, it definitely helps to have a manager because they're familiar with what looks normal. And especially as social media becomes a bigger industry, there's a, a more refined standard of what is normal for a sponsored video and a sponsored contract. Um, but surprisingly, though, I found contracts aren't too difficult to read through for the most part. So I read through all my contracts myself, actually, and uh, double check them. And then also my manager will read them, too. I see. Yeah. Down that same kind of question, how financially sustainable would you say this YouTube channel has been? Mm, interesting. Yeah. Um, during my gap year especially, 
is when it was the most sustainable because that was when I was seeing if I take this channel and make it my full-time job, what happens in terms of the growth of the channel, uh, you know, financial stability, all of that. And during my gap year, I did make, um, I would say more than a full-time salary from YouTube. And then even in high school and now in college, I still make more than a full-time salary from my YouTube channel, which has been really, really fun and rewarding, um, especially since it's something that I've been so passionate about too. And I feel like that's the best combination is when your work and passion overlap. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it is financially sustainable to that degree. It's just that social media can be so volatile. That makes it hard. Mm. Yeah. Wait, so tell me a little bit more about that. You said mm -hmm. social media can sometimes make it volatile. Like, what are some of the lessons and challenges you've learned with, with using social media? Yeah, it's something that I feel like um, a lot of people have seen over the years with social media influencers. The fact that they tend to come into favor and skyrocket and gain or and gain popularity exponentially, and then it can also drop off mm. just as fast because people are just generally seeking entertainment. And so then the greatest path to entertainment is more stimulation in different people. Mm -hmm. And that's why social media can be so volatile. So it's tough because you then you have to figure out how do you stay relevant and stay interesting. Yeah, for yeah. sure. In terms of marketing, what are your channels that are most effective? So you've got social oh. media, you've got your website, mm -hmm. you've got you know, other different ways you're promoting yourself. What right. is the method that you think is the most effective? Oh, I would say my YouTube channel and just the YouTube platform itself has always been the most effective for me. Mm -hmm. That's something I thought about during my gap year. Since I'm just a single person, what's the best use of my time? Is it promoting on Instagram, Facebook, um, doing more social media optimization off of YouTube or just making more YouTube videos? And what I found is that it's always been most beneficial for me to spend my time just making more videos. Mm. Yeah. And how often do you make videos? I used to do it more often. I'd say especially during my gap year. During my gap year, I would do videos twice a week, one baking video and one crafting video. Um, and then I was just working pretty much 24-7. And then um, freshman year, I would say I did about once a week or so. Now I'd say I aim for once or twice a month. So you started with this YouTube channel, right? And now you've got this cookbook coming mm -hmm. out. So tell me about that transition between having this, you know, sort of media product to now a physical product. Right. Yeah. Um, I feel like it, I don't know if it's as much of a transition as just piling another thing on top <laughs> to of the YouTube videos. Uh, but the way the cookbook came about was during my gap year, my manager had said we should just try to go for it. It had always been a dream of mine but I didn't think it was possible. But then she said there's no harm in just trying and seeing what happens. So then we found a book agent, um, Kate McKean, who's amazing and I love her. And then we put together the book proposal that you then send out to all the different publishing houses. And then you kind of uh, get a gauge for their interest in it. And then um, you have like an auction if there's multiple people interested. After we sent out that proposal, we eventually signed with Penguin Random House, which was really, really exciting. Yeah, wow. Especially, um, it's their cookbook division called Clarkson Potter, and they do like Martha Stewart, Bobby Flay, Gordon oh, wow. Ramsay, uh, Ina Big Garden. Big names, huh? Yeah. <laughs> so that was really an honor. Um, and then, um, yeah, that's how that all came about. And when does the book come out? July 30th. Are you, you can... like, how are you feeling about that date coming up? Excited? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. You can pre-order it now, actually, on oh, Amazon. On your website as well? or Yes. If okay. you, in fact, go to kawaiisuitworld.com. <laughs> slash... shout out. Yeah. No, it's uh, kawaiisuitworld.com slash book. You can pre-order it. That's awesome. Um, but then 
Uh, yeah, it's crazy that it's coming up so soon. It's really consumed my life, I feel like, for the past two years. Mm-hmm. And so it's just gratifying that it's finally being released. Oh, for sure. Yeah. To have it out in the world, right? That's going to be really wild. Yeah. Yeah, because I've always loved Barnes & Noble and bookstores. And so to be able to go to a bookstore and see my book on the shelf. That's mind-blowing. I can't even imagine that. Wow. Yeah. So you've got this YouTube channel, and now you've got you know this cookbook layered on as well. Where do you see Kawaii Sweet World going? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, we, without saying too much, recently started looking into product also because I think it'd be really cool to do bakeware and expand in that area. But then I'm also balancing that with my interest now in college too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm a product design major, and um, I'm really interested in that field too. And food innovation in general. So I am trying to balance the two, my interest between Kawaii Suit World and with just general product design and food innovation to see where I want to go with that. Um, So it's unclear yet, but Hmm. figuring it out. We're excited to see where that goes. Um, So if you could mention two or three things that you've learned from, you know, nearly 10 years of Kawaii Suit World, Mm -hmm. what would you say those two or three things would be? Oh, interesting. Good question. Um, I think... The main lesson I've learned is how to work really, really, really hard and to meet deadlines. And I feel like that's an, those are both underrated skills, but that can take you so far in life because meeting deadlines is really, really crucial for anything you want to do. Um, it makes you a more responsible, reliable person, which makes people want to work with you more often. And then I think it helps with respect too. And so if you can meet deadlines consistently, I think that's a really, really powerful tool. And then also along with that is working super, super hard. For the cookbook, uh, for example, the photo shoots, I we would start shooting at like 8.30 a.m. in the morning and then wrap around 7 p.m. And then I would have to bake all the desserts for the next day. Wow. And we did a chapter a day. So I would bake 10 recipes and decorate them that night. So I would work then from 7 p.m. to probably 4.30, 5 a.m., sleep for a few hours, and then we'd start again the in the morning. The whole process. Oh, my God. Yeah, we did that for 10 days. Um, but just goes to show, sometimes you do have to put in the work to get what the results you want to get. Exactly. And yeah. so I think it's a valuable skill to learn how to, how do you motivate yourself to work that hard? And then how do you put in that work in the first place, too? Mm. Yeah. And how do you think passion plays into this? Like, mm. w- would you say that was a huge driver into, you know, staying up that late and mm-hmm. putting in those hours? Yeah, for sure. I think that it helps to visualize your goals and um, think about what you want at the end of the day. Because if you want something, you really have to work for it. And that's the only way you'll get there. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so now I'm going to move on to the fire round, which awesome. is basically where I fire you a couple questions and I want you to answer each of them within like 30 seconds. Okay. Um, so are you ready? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm ready. Love it. I'm okay, ready. cool, cool. <laughs> so first question, okay. most memorable experience at Stanford so far? I would say uh, binary bomb <laughs> when it finally worked. For CS107. That was wild. That is um, wild. No, it was probably my greatest accomplishment so far in life in general. Wow. Very Not satisfying. Not quite a sweet world, but binary bomb. Binary bomb. <laughs> because it was so hard conceptually, I feel like, but then just really satisfying when I finally got it diffused. Yeah. Yeah. yeah diffused, exactly. Good time. Yeah. What year did you take 107? I took it spring of freshman year when got I was it. still okay. a CS major. I oh, thought. right. Yeah. Before PD came, yeah. came in. Uh, favorite class at Stanford and why? I would say either CS107, just because it was so challenging, or Art History 1B. Because Art History 1B, I feel like, reconnected me with the side that loves humanities, too. And so I thought that was really cool. Mm. And who was the professor for that class? That was Alexander Nemirov. Okay. Very cool. I see. Uh, Closest mentor at Stanford and how you met them? Hmm. 
Um, I would say my PMA has been a really, really good mentor. Um, Bill Barnett. He's really good. He's helped me a lot, just, not just in terms of school, but just life in general. He's given me a lot of business advice with Quasi World, how to manage my time, when do you prioritize school, when do you prioritize your work, and then how do you balance those things. Yeah. Yeah. What specifically about balance has he sort of advised you on? Hmm. I think that talking to older people in general, um, they tell you to calm down about academics and sometimes, I don't want to say grades because it's not like he's encouraging me to work less hard in school but just to keep things in perspective that let's say you get you know a less than ideal grade on a test or a certain assignment it's okay you're going to survive in the long run exactly so having that like larger perspective exactly yeah perspective definitely helps favorite place to do work on campus i would say my room I find I can be really productive in my room. Um, and I think it's mainly about mindset for me more than location. And so it doesn't really matter to me where I work as long as I have the right mindset. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And favorite activity to de-stress on campus? Mm. Go to the gym. Okay. I love going to the gym. And I feel like just getting a good sweat and, I don't know, listening to some really good music is a great way to de-stress. Oh, for sure. Most impactful summer internship and why? Ooh. I actually haven't done a whole lot of big internships because I've been working on Kawaii World. So I guess you could say my internship is kind of working for myself. <laughs> and then <in laughs> and that- how's that been? <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> I'm a pretty tough boss. <laughs> but um, yeah, I would say last summer when I was working on the cookbook for the whole summer, that was a pretty big internship for me, I guess you could say, or just work experience in general. I think being an entrepreneur teaches you a lot about how you manage your time um, because my tendency was to work constantly throughout the day from when I wake up to when I go to bed. But then I think it's important to learn as an entrepreneur, how are you going to delineate when the workday begins and ends? For sure. Because otherwise it would just go on and on and on. Right, right. What's one piece of advice you give for students on campus who might want to start something? Hmm. It has to be something you are really, really, really crazy passionate about. Because I think for a business to succeed, you have to have that crazy amount of drive that's going to allow you to put in the hours necessary and the work necessary to achieve that goal. Because with Kawaii World, um, behind the scenes, there has been a crazy amount of work that goes into the videos, the channel, the book, and there's sacrifice in there too. And so then you have to be absolutely crazy passionate about it if you are going to make that your business. Mm. So we've talked a little bit about, you know, where Kawaii Suit World is headed, but what are the next steps for Rachel Fong specifically? Oh, good question. I My goal is to learn as much as possible about myself and about the topics that I'm interested in, which is good because I'm at school. Um, <laughs> so then with product design, taking more classes in that, talking to more professors, learning more about that field and that industry in general, uh, specifically related to food innovation and product design. That's what I want to learn a lot about in the coming years. And I think that'll help me figure out my future too. For sure. Well, I know you've got like a fantastic future ahead of you. I can just feel the passion <laughs> and like the drive that you Thank have. You. Um, but it was awesome to have you on the couch. Thank you. This was so much fun. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Now, I hope y'all enjoyed that episode. Thanks again, Rachel, for coming on the couch. I'm excited to see where she goes with her entrepreneurial drive and love for food, nutrition, and health. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode. If you've got any feedback, suggestions, questions, or any existential thoughts, write to me at cj98 at stanford.edu. Lastly, wherever you're listening, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. Next episode, we'll be talking to senior Caitlin Albertoli. Make sure to tune in to hear all about her journey of founding Buzz Solutions, 
a software analytics company that analyzes data collected by drones in order to provide predictive analytics to utilities. I'm Catherine Jane, and you've been listening to The Founder's Couch. See y'all soon!